So the reading tonight is Psalm 139, verse 1 to 18, which can be found on page 627 in the Bibles in front of you. O Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in, behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depth, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depth of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So what is our heartbeat? My husband will tell you he doesn't really like that phrase very much because, you know, what does it mean? It's a difficult one, isn't it? But for me, it's about what gives us life. It enables us to breathe, enables us to love and experience all that God has got in store for us. We can be fully alive people. I don't know about you, but I recently witnessed CPR for the first time. I've seen it on telly, and I realized in real life it is nothing like the television. And it is a very physical fight to get the very heart going again to bring people back to life. But it made a great impact on me, and just, actually, what is our heartbeat? It is the thing that keeps us alive. In three minutes, your heart has pumped 1.5 gallons of blood through your intricate and finely shaped arteries, so to minimise the damage as it pumps through. God's attention to detail is awesome, or as Mike would probably say, extraordinary. But I don't want to bore you with facts about the heart, except for to remind us that God created us uniquely from any other species, and surely that underpins that he wants us to flourish So what about me? I'm a vicarage kid. My father was a minister in the Church of England. 
and I grew up in, uh, in my early years in the vibrant and diverse part of North London called Islington. What does a vicarage kid give you insight into? It gives you insight into actually the lives and potential of people around you. Long before there were offices and churches, the vicarage was very much the place that everybody came to. So as we approached my father's study with a cheese sandwich, we were never quite sure whether it was a tramp or the bishop who'd come to visit. You could usually tell when you turned up, but not always. But what it underpinned for me was that people are people. My father had a unique way of seeing well beyond the surface. He saw many damaged people. He saw many gifted people. But actually what he showed us was that people are people and God has created us all uniquely. Perhaps one of the downsides of being a vicarage kid is that you live in this slightly public life, even if it's not your choice. And there's expectation on who you should be or or what you might become. Couple that with my large extended family who are either clergy, teachers, nurses or medics. It's not always very easy to find your way and your purpose if it's not one of those. Rick Warren, in his book, The Purpose Driven Life, talks of our unique emotional heartbeat that God has given each of us that races when we think about subjects, activities, or circumstances that interest us. We instinctively care about some things and not about others. I felt that when I heard Jens speak last Sunday. I don't know if you heard his talk, but I was certainly glad that God had created him uniquely and I wasn't like him. But discovering our heartbeat is often driven by the needs that we see around us that we might want to help meet. Needs like spiritual needs, an obvious one for ministers. Physical needs, relational needs, helping people to relate to one another. Emotional needs, educational needs, or vocational needs. I wonder, what are the needs that you love meeting for others? And why do you love that? What do I love to do? I love to equip and enable others. Solutions and resourcing, sorting out issues. My siblings will tell you that I used to think that sellotape fixed everything. But what that highlights for me is that from a very early age, I had a passion for trying to sort things out, to try and fix them or find a solution so we could carry on doing what we'd been doing. You'll be glad to know, I know, no, that sellotape doesn't fix everything. But I'm very blessed that in my world of work, where it centers around people and organization development, I'm able to do what I love and use it to what I believe is God's glory and the talents that he's given to pursue my heart, the things that he has set on it. So perhaps the needs that I like meeting fit into those relational vocational, helping improve and develop authentic relationships and help people maximize their potential But where does it start? Why did I choose this wonderful passage, Psalm 139? Because it begins where we begin, where we begin first. You search me, Lord, and you know me. These verses, these first seven verses, speak of the omniscience of God, the all-knowing, the all-perceiving. He knows us. David marveled at the intimate way in which God was acquainted with him. God knows when we're at rest and at work. 
He knows our motives. He knows our thoughts before we clothe them with words. I'm glad he's the only one who knows that about me. He knows everything about our public and private life, and yet he still loves us. There is absolutely nothing about us that God doesn't know. Such knowledge blew David's mind. I wonder what about us? Why does it resonate with me? Because it's our first glimpse and reminds us that we were chosen before we chose God. God chose us first. That's quite radical, isn't it? God chose us. And that develops our identity in Christ, knowing that we are chosen. He chose us first. And I know the issue of being chosen is difficult for some. It may be an error that they've struggled in. But for me, as long as I can remember, I knew that I was chosen. My father told me all the time, God has given me the gift of sons, but we chose you. I knew this long before I made the connection that I'd been adopted at three weeks old and that this was the key line in the story that my father told me day after day until the day I said to him, is that baby girl me? What a wonderful gift I had in an earthly father who through that story, through that recognition that I had been chosen, gave me a glimpse of what it was to understand that about God. The power of this psalm and how precious we are to God. But what I also love about the chosen, about the reality of grasping that God has chosen us, is it doesn't make us unique or particularly special or a Joseph Mourinho, the special one. What it does is it enables us to include others. Instead of rejecting others as less valuable, it helps us accept them and their uniqueness. It's not about being competitive, but compassionate. Something our minds might struggle with, but our hearts are called to do. God knows us so well. He knows what we're capable of, and he longs that we discover what that is. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? The psalm goes on in the next seven, eight verses. It's about that feeling of God being omnipresent. He is with us all the time. Continuous and not absent. You, God, knit me together. We are created by him. In the original translation, David uses a word called kilia, which isn't just about our flesh and bones, but about the very organs that God puts into the body. The very things that give us life, that keep us alive. God created us so uniquely. He took his time. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. I don't know about you, and perhaps unlike me, you didn't look in the mirror before you left for church this evening, but I certainly don't look in the mirror and go, wow, you are wonderfully and marvelously made. It's a challenge, isn't it? I'm probably more likely to think about other things. But you know, God doesn't make mistakes. We are fearfully in awe, with great respect. God took his time. Genesis tells us on the sixth day, God made man, nothing else. When you think of the story of creation, on the sixth day, God made man. He took his time. We matter to God. 
Ephesians 2, verse 10, talks about the fact that we are his workmanship. We are marvelous. We are unique from each other. And therefore, we have been made for a purpose. You matter to God. I think for me, I knew that I'd been chosen, but whether I mattered to God, what my purpose was, took a bit more working out. Do you believe that you have been shaped for a purpose? Because when we hear about chosen people and chosen talent, we often think about the elite, and we often think of who we are not. In Genesis 3, when uh, the Lord calls out to Adam, he says, he declares that he's afraid because he is naked. And God says to him, who told you that? And I think some of it's the same for us. We might know that we're chosen, but do we know that we have a purpose and that God has created us for that? Or do we believe the untruths that we hear other people speak over us? All the things that we tell ourselves. I can tell you some of mine. You'll never be like your brother Tim who is a high flyer, a loud and confident game changer in the world of education. Or my own lies to myself. Your work is not as valuable as those in ministry. Or perhaps the most recent one will make you smile. I'm not a theologian like half my family, so there's no way I can speak in church when Mike emailed me. Or perhaps even more recently with our son. Hey, why don't you come listen to your mother talk in church? That's just weird. Why would I want to do that? And the liar might then tell myself, actually, God, is he lost to you? Actually, I have to remind myself, who told you that? Who told you that he's lost? Who told you that you can't do that? I see in my daily work where many individuals are held back by the untruths that have been spoken over them. Take Jeff, not his real name, a 28-year-old educated and talented young professional who uh, I met during a leadership course. He's making great progress up the corporate ladder, but he's now finding himself increasingly responsible for others and having to do more networking, neither of which are his strong point or bring him much joy, but especially because he believes that others doubt his own gifts and ability. He thinks they don't think he should be in the job that he's in. So we had a conversation and I suggested perhaps over a period of time he should have a think. I said, you know, why don't you um, write down you know, what these people tell you? I'd, l- I'd love to know. You know. And we'll have a chat again in a few weeks' time, but jot it down. We caught up a couple of weeks ago. And he said, you know what, Rachel, I've really struggled with that phrase. Who told you that? And he said, I've, I've spent a long time thinking about it. And he said, the, last, the problem is I've just discovered that I tell myself. Nobody's told me that. I say it. I've told myself these things. He said, and worse, I actually believe it. God created us for purpose. And yet sometimes I think that we've lost sight of what God tells us. What has God told you about your purpose and what you can do? The psalm goes on. My frame was not hidden from you. Your eyes saw me, my unformed body, All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. There's a place for everyone, a special place. 
You know, we think it's all about Facebook and our digital profile and updating the next bit of our life and letting people know. God was way ahead. He had it mapped out in his book before we had our first breath. Our life is no accident. God has hold of us for a purpose that should help focus our thinking. And perhaps in the busyness of our lives, some of us have not given time prayerfully to consider what this is, and we get lost, we get burnt out, worn out, stressed out, trying to achieve the goals that were never ours in the first place. We need to deeply trust that we matter to God and are precious to him. And that also then begins to impact others. How precious to me are your thoughts, God? How vast is the sum of them? Where, were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I am awake, I am still with you. God never stops thinking about us. In fact, he thinks about us so much, it would be impossible to count all of his thoughts. Can we imagine that? Does anybody else in our life think that? We can go to bed at night with the assurance that God is thinking about us. We can wake up in the morning with the assurance that God is still thinking about us. What is God saying to you? The Bible tells us to be still and know that I am God. He longs for our ear that he might give us the desire of our hearts to fulfill the purpose he has for us. John 10 verse 10 talks about the fact that we might have life and have it in fullness. That's God's wish for all of us. That's his desire. It's what he's created for us. So what about me? It is about equipping and enabling others. It's what gets me out of bed, and I see that it makes a difference. And I know that it is a privilege and a joy to get to work doing what I love. But I know that God has more. The danger when you love what you do is you can get a bit complacent about it. And so the challenge for me is always asking God, what's next? Where do you want to use that to your glory? Where will you make me uncomfortable in the things that I've become comfortable in? So two weeks' time, I'm starting a a new project with a new organisation who uh, rehabilitate prisoners. And uh, the original remit was, uh, Rachel, we've got 10, 12 people that we want to put on a a kind of year-long course uh, to equip and enable them to lead others around around the UK. And uh, so then I went along to a briefing meeting, thought it sounds like quite, quite a kind of common project for me. And, uh, and then they said, right, 60% of your delegates are ex-offenders, and some of them have probably been previous gang leaders, etc. And I was thinking, oh, God, you're taking me way beyond the comfort zone now. Not quite my usual field. But you know what? When we're working in our sweet spot, I know God won't let me down. And I know that he goes before me and that he created and chose every individual that I meet. And that's the challenge for me when I meet them, is to see them as God sees them. So what about us? What about you? Do we know that we are chosen? Because that's where I believe it starts from. We need to know that God chose us. Henry Nguyen, the Dutch Catholic priest, professor, writer and theologian, quoted... Self-rejection is the greatest enemy of the spiritual life because it contradicts the sacred voice that calls us the beloved. Being the beloved constitutes the core truth of our existence. We must celebrate our chosenness. And if we're already there accepting our chosenness, 
Perhaps the challenge is to accept others. Secondly, we have purpose. There is more. Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, chapter 3, talked about pressing on for what lies ahead. What more has God got in store? God has so much more in store for us. We need to believe in the potential of our future and not be held by the past. We need to let go of the things, that, the phrases of who told you that? What is God telling you in this season? And how can we be assured? Because Romans 11 verse 29 says, God's gifts and call are irrevocable. They are never to be taken away. There is no mistake. God has laid out plans for all of us. So what is written on your heart? What need gets you, drives you? What makes you come alive? Recognize where you make a difference. And if you're not sure, ask God, because he knows us so intimately. He's the best person to give us guidance. It's an exciting journey, and there's still more. And that will be my prayer for each and every one of us here, that we will discover what God has in store for us. Amen. One of the things I was uh, praying about this afternoon, and I think it fits with what people said this evening, is I think that, like me, there are some people here who know that they're working almost in their sweet spot. You're already where God wants you to be, but actually you know that there's still more. And uh, whether that's coming forward for prayer this evening or praying that over your week, uh, I want to challenge you to ask God, what more do you want me to do? so that we're never comfortable but always pushing for more. That we might know too that we're chosen. Chosen where we are for a purpose. Thank you.